0: Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals that help listeners tackle the storms of life and become more resilient. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled, Becoming and Overcoming, was given on March 17th of 2009 by Carol Wilkinson, then a BYU professor of exercise sciences. Good morning, everybody. Whenever I visit my sister's family in Salt Lake City, as I am about to leave, my six-year-old niece, Emily, usually pops up with, Wait, Carol, we haven't written in my journal yet. Writing in her journal consists of the two of us going out to my car, where she uses a small notebook I keep in the glove compartment to draw pictures of different fairy tales, such as Sleeping Beauty. And she then spells out the names of the characters with my help. No matter what story she chooses, it inevitably consists of a princess and prince seeking to overcome difficult circumstances involving a wicked person and then eventually living happily ever after. Over the last five years, I have spent time working with the young women of the church in my ward and in my stake. As I listen to them talk, many of them describe their worthy goals and their planned path ahead. That usually includes education, getting married, having children, then grandchildren, and hopefully living happily ever after, they say with a smile. It's interesting that they never mention overcoming difficulties or a wicked person as part of their plan. In 1840, Wilford Woodruff and other apostles traveled to England to share the message of the restored gospel. In the beautiful, green, rolling countryside, I'm not biased, of course, um, of Herefordshire, Worcestershire, and Gloucestershire, try saying that very fast, Elder Woodruff experienced phenomenal success and hundreds of people joined the church. 14-year-old Thomas Steed, yes, that is Steed, Thomas Steed of Malvern converted to the church during this time period. Shortly after his baptism, while at a gathering of saints, Thomas experienced a wonderful spiritual manifestation which he recorded later in life. Quote, the house was filled with the spirit and the power of God. And everyone present was thrilled with the convincing power of the Holy Spirit, and which I could feel through my whole system like fire shut up in my bones. It was then plainly made known unto me that God lives, that Jesus is the Redeemer, and that Joseph Smith was a prophet of the Most High God. Of the truth of this, a doubt has never crossed my mind from that day to this. A few years after this exhilarating experience, Thomas immigrated to America, arriving in Nauvoo on April 13, 1844. He records, "The Prophet Joseph Smith was at the pier. At first glance, I could tell it was him by his noble expression. He came on board to shake hands and welcome us by many encouraging words, and expresses thankfulness that we had arrived in safety." As he could not stay with us, he sent Apostle George A. Smith to preach on board. What did you come here for, asked he. To be instructed in the ways of the Lord, answered someone. I tell you, Apostle Smith said, you have come to the thrashing floor, and after you have been thrashed and pounded, you will have to go through the fanning mill, where the chaff will be blown away and the wheat remain. The troubles in Nauvoo were just coming upon them, end quote thrashed and pounded. Now can you imagine a stunned Thomas and his fellow British converts possibly thinking, "Uh, actually no, this isn't what we had in mind. I'm sure they weren't contemplating a life full of trials upon arriving in Zion. Yet overcoming difficulties is part of life's experience as the saints in Nauvoo discovered and so will we. During my time working here at BYU, I know of many students who have experienced difficulties in their lives. These trials range in degree of difficulty and include not getting into the school of your choice, coping with eating disorders, loss of health. My student, Jamie, who gave the opening prayer this morning, almost died last April from an illness that she had at that time loss of loved ones, and experiencing abuse, to name a few. If trials haven't come into your life yet, rest assured they will come to each of you at some point. As they say in the advertising business, watch this space. Now, I don't want you to think, oh no, this is a doom and gloom talk. Adversity is part of the reality of life, and rather than push the topic under the carpet and hope it never affects us, The aim of my comments today is to try and help you know how to deal with adversity when it does come into your life. Why is there adversity in life? One reason adversity can come into our lives is due to sin. Another reason for trials is to help us develop, and it is this latter reason that I wish to explore. Elder Richard G. Scott states, When those trials are not consequences of your disobedience, they are evidence that the Lord feels you are prepared to grow more. He therefore gives you experiences that stimulate growth, understanding, and compassion, which polish you for your everlasting benefit. To get you from where you are to where he wants you to be requires a lot of stretching, and that generally entails discomfort and pain. Our Father in heaven wants us to become like him, and in so doing, he wants us to overcome the world and the influences of Satan. Difficulties in life allow us to find out how much we need the divine strength and love of our Father, not just during the difficulties, but always. As we reach out to God, we can find and experience his goodness and want to be like him. Satan also wants us to be like him, evil and miserable, and so he seeks to overcome us and thwart God's plan. Elder Iring says, quote, The great test of this life is not to endure storms, but to choose the right while they rage, end quote. In the premortal life, we shouted for joy at the opportunity to come to earth to take this test, Yet there have been times when I've been really struggling in the midst of a trial and I've thought, in pre-earth life, was I excited for this? What was I thinking? And I've wondered when all the joyful shouting took place if I was actually in the spiritual restroom taking a break. (laughs) I I would like to place difficulties into two categories, short-term difficulties and long-term difficulties. I will define short-term difficulties as those that occur in the space of a period of time that extends from minutes to a few months. For example, you lose an object and try to find it. Your car breaks down and you need help. You don't get into the school you wish to enter and have to choose another. As difficulties come into our lives, there are two ways to approach them. The first approach leads to allowing oneself to be influenced and overcome by Satan. With this first approach, if you don't exhibit any faith, pay attention to spiritual promptings or seek for divine help in the process, but just rely on your own abilities, when difficulties come and they're not resolved quickly, you may just feel extremely irritated. The second approach leads to overcoming the world and the influence of Satan through having faith in Christ. With this approach, if you are being obedient pleading for help and exhibiting faith, the trial may just be a test of your faith and could be resolved relatively quickly. Many of you will have experienced a situation where you have lost an object and after a prayer were able to find it, or someone showed up to help with a broken down car. However, just because the difficulty is short term, it can still be somewhat traumatic. For example, 20 years ago, I had just finished my mission in England. I had worked in the US prior to going on a mission. And I felt impressed by the spirit to return to the US to continue working. Application for a green card had been submitted by my company in the States 18 months earlier, and I began to wonder if it was ever going to come through. I prayed for help, tried hard to be obedient, and waited. One morning, as I lay in bed at my parents' home in England, I heard the postman push the mail through the letterbox in the front door of the house. The spirit immediately confirmed that the letter stating the date of my interview at the US embassy had arrived, and I felt that all was going to be well. On the day of my interview, I traveled to London and sat in the embassy waiting for my interview. Suddenly, I noticed an older man come out from a back room and go over to one of the interviewers. With a startle, I recognized him as an individual I had encountered several years ago at the embassy when I was renewing a temporary work visa enabling me to work in the US. The temporary visa I had applied for at that time was totally legal, but at the time, this fellow seemed to be perturbed and told me that from looking at my passport, I looked like a visitor to my own country, England, and that he never expected to see me again at the embassy. Very charming, I thought. As it turned out, the visa I obtained from him was the wrong one and I had to return to the embassy to get the correct one. Fortunately, I didn't see him on that visit. Now, several years later, here he was talking to this young man and both of them kept glancing over at me with penetrating stares. I continued to read my book and pretend that I hadn't noticed their stares. However, inside, my stomach was going into spasms, doing all sorts of gastrointestinal gymnastics. And I started to feel nauseous and lightheaded as a feeling of panic swept over me. I began to think I was doomed in my current endeavor to obtain a green card. I said a silent prayer, reminding Heavenly Father that I was only trying to follow spiritual promptings in going back to the U.S. anyway, and that I desperately needed his help. The older man returned to his office, and a short while later, the young interviewer called me over, and everything went smoothly as he told me not to worry about previous comments that had been made about my visas. My panic subsided, and as I walked out of the building, a feeling of elation came over me. I silently expressed my gratitude to my Father in heaven, and immediately the thought came to my mind. You felt confirmation earlier from me about the visa. Why did you doubt? That I would come through for you. I felt chagrined at my lack of faith in this difficult moment. Sometimes our difficulty isn't resolved as quickly as we would like it to be and the problem becomes a long-term problem lasting for many months or years. Examples of chronic problems are illness, coping with the loss of a loved one, experiencing the effects of sin in someone else's life such as wayward parents, wayward children, or a spouse with an addiction to pornography. In such situations, let's first consider behaviors in response to the difficulty that can lead us down the path to rebellion and could ultimately lead us to being overcome by Satan. The purpose of doing this is so you'll know what behaviors to avoid. Step one, things are not going according to the plan you had for your life. You're baffled and so you question. You don't understand why things are going wrong. You ask questions such as, why is God allowing this to happen to me? I don't deserve this. Or, this is a righteous desire, why doesn't he help me? You don't ask the Lord to help you understand the situation. Laman and Lemuel are a prime example of this approach of not asking for understanding. When they could not comprehend some of their father's teachings, Nephi asked them if they had inquired of the Lord, to which they responded, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. You can become bogged down in the fact that the Lord hasn't granted your desire. In this approach, your own reasoning leads you nowhere. Step 2. As time passes, you have exhibited faith, but it hasn't brought the results you desired, and so you feel let down, hurt, and you start to doubt your Father in heaven. You may think to yourself, God doesn't love me or care about me. You know he could remove the problem, as he is omnipotent, so you may wonder why he doesn't. Step three, you still want your desires, and since you think you know best, you decide to set certain conditions. Maybe you set the condition that you're not going to give your full effort in your church calling unless Heavenly Father helps you get a job you've been seeking. Or you mistakenly think if you have enough faith, you can set a time frame for the Lord to come through for you. For example, you might think, I'm going to exhibit faith and want to meet my spouse by the end of this year. And if it doesn't happen... I won't have faith anymore. Elder Scott advises us that, quote, our Father in heaven has invited you to express your needs, hopes, and desires unto him. That should not be done in the spirit of negotiation, but rather as a willingness to obey his will, no matter what direction that takes. His invitation, ask and ye shall receive, does not assure that you will get what you want. It does guarantee that if worthy, You will get what you need as judged by a father that loves you perfectly, who wants your eternal happiness even more than you do. Step four, your desire is still not met, and so you become angry or bitter, which can lead to rebellion. When you rebel, the spirit leaves you. Satan whispers to you, and you may have thoughts such as, I was right, God doesn't care about me. Church members are all hypocrites. The leaders aren't right. The church isn't true. There is no God. You listen to these whisperings and allow Satan to overcome you, and you become miserable like him. In contrast to this approach to long-term difficulties is the second approach that leads us to become like God and overcome the world and the effects of Satan through faith in the Savior. Throughout this approach, you continually seek to be obedient to the commandments, plead for divine help, and have faith in the Lord. Step one. Things are not going according to your plan. You don't understand why things are going wrong. You know Heavenly Father could solve the problem as he is omnipotent. Yet you know that you don't know the meaning of all things. So remembering times when he has come through for you in the past you decide to absolutely trust God. Trust that he knows what he is doing with you and that it will be for your good, even though you haven't the faintest idea of how he is going to do it. Instead of asking why questions, you ask different questions. Questions such as, what should I do? What do you want me to learn from this? Try to find out what the Lord's will is. Obviously, he wants you to be obedient to his commandments, but what else does he have in mind for you? Tell him what your desires are, but then you need to be prepared to do his will. Sometimes your desire is not in line with his will. Remember that in Gethsemane, the Savior petitioned his father several times for his will, that the cup could pass from him, while at the same time being willing to submit to his father's will which he ultimately did. Sometimes God is taking us down a different path, and righteous desires may not be met on our time schedule as he takes us down another path. Elder Scott again says, quote, as you trust him, exercise faith in him, he will help you. That support will generally come step by step, a portion at a time. While you are passing through each phase, the pain and difficulty that comes from being enlarged will continue. If all matters were immediately resolved at your first petition, you could not grow. Even when we feel a prompting to do something, God may have an entirely different goal in mind than what seems to be the case as we start to follow the prompting. For example, in 1830, Oliver Cowdery, Polly P. Pratt, Zyber Peterson and Peter Whitmer, were called to serve a mission to the Lamanites. On the way out to the Missouri frontier to preach to the Lamanites, they stopped in Kirtland, Ohio, and gave a Book of Mormon to Paulie's friend, Sidney Rigdon, a Reformed Baptist minister. Prior to joining the church, Paulie had also been a member of the Reformed Baptist in the Kirtland area, After reading the Book of Mormon for two weeks, Sidney was converted, and through him, many who attended his several congregations eventually accepted the restored gospel. The missionaries served the mission, but didn't bring many Lamanites into the church. Yet the mission was a success in terms of converts in a very different way than what they had originally thought. So you need to pay attention to promptings and circumstances as they unfold in your life. Heavenly Father will use these to unfold his will to you. Prepare yourself for bends in the road and lots of surprises. Step two, when your faith doesn't bring the results you desire and you struggle with the trial, you need to ask for strength. Through the Holy Ghost, God will strengthen you, show that he loves you, comfort you, and bring peace to your heart. I came to the United States from York, England when I was 25 years old. I won't tell you the date, or you'll be able to figure out how old I am. And after completing graduate work, returned to England to look for a university teaching job and be near my family. However, after initially rejecting a job offer in Utah because it wasn't part of my plan, I felt strongly prompted to take the job and did so. After being in the US for some time, I remember feeling homesick one day I'm wondering where Heavenly Father was taking me. I went to the Jordan River Temple and was waiting outside the dressing room for a friend to join me. As I sat there, feelings of homesickness swept over me, and I remember thinking how much I missed my home and family. I turned to look at the photograph on the wall behind my chair. It was of the Jordan River Temple. Immediately a thought came clearly into my mind. You are home. A sweet, loving peace swept over me as I turned to look at the painting on the wall to my left. It showed Jesus appearing to a kneeling Mary outside the garden tomb. And as I gazed at it, another thought came clearly to my mind. And I am here. I suddenly felt totally at home, ...loved and comforted. Step three. Don't be consumed with the trial. This can be very hard to do. Try to focus on the good things in your life... ...not on what you don't have. Choose to be happy in spite of the difficulty you are dealing with. Don't wait for circumstances to make you happy. Sometimes you may think... ...when I get married, then I'll be happy... When I get a certain job, then I'll be happy. When this trial is over, oh, then I'm going to be so happy. Look for small miracles as the Lord reaches out in kindness to touch your life. Isaiah confirms that the Lord's kindness shall not depart from us, nor will he remove his covenant of peace. Life can be sweet and peaceful in the midst of difficulty. Donna Turley, a church member who suffered chronic illness, wrote this shortly before her death, quote, When I am gone, most of all I hope you will know that life was not too hard, too pained, too discouraging, that it never once seemed overwhelming to me. Please don't spend much time upon my illnesses, my difficulties, the disappointments, and the pain. Don't ever let that overshadow and obscure the splendor and the glory of life as it was always felt and known by me. Please don't miss seeing and feeling the happiness and the beauty with which life, as I have known it, has been filled. Step four, fully consecrate your life to Heavenly Father and draw ever closer to him and his Son. Have an attitude that you will serve him in spite of the pain you are going through and the lack of true understanding you have of where he is taking you. Continue to feast on the word of God and have faith. Be willing to spend time with God. Desire it with all your heart. Make the time to pray fervently while being willing to submit to his will. Serve him by serving others spend time in meaningful meditation, and attend the temple with a worshipful attitude. I bear you my witness that as you do this, the veil will become thin, and you will feel a wonderful closeness to your Father. Like the bee in this photograph that gathers precious life-sustaining nectar and pollen, we come to the light to be spiritually fed and leave feeling a sweet peace in our own lives and a sure knowledge that one day in the Lord's time all will be well. I have taken a poem from Martin Seligman's book, Authentic Happiness. This is the speaker in the forum next week. And I've modified it, but I give him the credit for much of the poem. This best describes my own feelings as a result of spending sacred time with my Father in heaven. But I will descend from this elevated state, this seeping sweet peace, this consuming love. And time will close about me and my soul stir to the rhythm of the daily round. Yet, having known, life will not press so close. And always I shall feel time ravel thin about me, for I have felt the still pure white presence of divinity when you consecrate your life to the lord's service and draw ever closer to him and his father you will move along the path as elder bruce hafen said in his devotional address last year from being a servant of the lord to become his friend and ultimately as you become like him you will become his son or daughter as a joint heir with him This past Christmas, I made star-shaped shortbread cookies for my neighbors. In order to roll out the dough, I had to hold it in my hands so that the butter softened and the dough became malleable. As we have faith in Christ and let him hold us in his hands as we submit to the Father's will, he will mold us, roll us out, and cook us through adversity in our lives till we reach the point where, through faith in him, he is able to make of us bright, glowing stars, shining individuals who are sensitive to others who are struggling, sensitive because of the pain we felt, which helps us know better how to succor others, mirroring in a very small way the way Christ succors us. Ultimately, through this process, we can become one with him and with our Father. So we become and then overcome the world through faith in our Savior. Elder Maxwell confirms this process. He said, quote, Attributively, we are to become even as Jesus, with his virtues being increasingly replicated in our lives. Even in the midst of our obvious imperfections, a sacred process is to be underway, if slowly, nevertheless resolutely. Whatever one's unfolding agenda, he can be overcoming if he is becoming more like christ end quote the wonderful promise is to him that overcometh will i grant to sit with me in my throne even as i also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne heavenly father is preparing us to be gods we don't understand what this really means but he does He knows the necessary process to help us achieve this. Trust in our Father and his Son as you seek to become like them. Choose to live a happy life in spite of the trials of life, for with God's help you can overcome them, overcome Satan and find peace and happiness in this life. Then one day, if we have been faithful, we will have the happiness that is far beyond any fairy tale ending as we experience the reality of eternal life with our Father and his Son. I know this to be true, for his Spirit has borne witness of this to me. I am grateful for the gospel and the great plan of happiness. I am grateful for the abundant love I feel from my Father and his Son. May each of us endure well and grow from the various situations we are called upon to face in this life. And may we each reach out in kindness to succor others in their trials and help them along the way. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Overcoming Adversity podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage by study and by faith. Come follow me, the Prophet Joseph Smith